0: My name is Brad Kendall. I'm lead pastor here. It is so good to have everyone here. Thank you for braving the, uh, the winter to get here. It's a hearty group here in Minnesota. Uh, so grateful we are here. and We get to uh, go a little deeper. This week, just an FYI. uh, There's no Q&A. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we often do Q&A after the message. Today, we're we're not going to do Q&A because uh, today's message is actually born out of the questions you gave me from last week's message. Last week, uh, I preached a message, and uh, I knew there would there would be some stuff in there that would raise some questions. And I said, I want you to text me the questions or email me questions. And, uh, and I'll uh, create a message born out of that. So that's what we're going to do today. Why don't we pray before we go further? Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for your presence. We want to stop, to be still, to be reminded that we are loved. And when we are not loved from afar, we are loved by your very near presence. Inhabiting every space around us, every space that is us, Lord, you are present, and it has all been created by you through you and for you. Jesus. Lord, we desire to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. We want to love you and love others according to your great purposes. So we pray God that you would take the truth of your word and the powerful presence of your spirit. And mold us and shape us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, what I want to do is I want to recap just so we're all on the same page. We've been on a long journey. We spent January talking about the importance of God's word. Uh, We've spent February talking about this, what you see on the screen there, decisions. And um, we say here at Faith Covenant Church, you've heard this before, you're gonna hear it a thousand times again, that we are a family of grace making disciples of Jesus from generation to generation. Now what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a learner, a disciple is an apprentice. Last week I used an old hymn, I said a disciple is someone who has decided, who has made a decision to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Maybe you know that old hymn. And in following Jesus, uh, disciples have decided to value God's word the way Jesus valued God's Word. And so, uh, we would say that disciples believe, read this with me, all Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you might be here and you might be thinking, I don't know if I believe that, and that's okay, we're glad you're here, and we're all kind of in a journey of wondering the full meaning of what that actually means. And I believe if you dive more deeply into God's Word, you come to experience how true those words are. If you're looking for a great place to do that, come Wednesday night, 6.30, to Discovery Bible Experience. Shameless plug. Um, So, And in following Jesus, disciples are people who've decided... um, that they're going to interpret God's Word through the lens of His incarnate Word. They're going to interpret God's Word through the lens of the living Word, Jesus. And we've said this, read this with me. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Disciples believe Jesus is God's definitive Word because God's written Word says that Jesus is God's definitive Word. Thus, we're a people of the Word. We're a people of the Word. We're a people of God's written Word, and we're a people of God's incarnate Word, Jesus. And so, the Word says that we are God's masterpiece. Let's read this. We are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he planned for us long ago. And I've said that the church is, is uh, the gospel lived out. The church is takes the word of God and puts it up on its feet, empowered by the spirit of Christ. We are staging scenes from the kingdom of God for a, walk, a watching world. And thus, in our decisions... I've made the argument we are not called to effectiveness according to the way the world values effectiveness we're actually called to the to faithfulness to God's world, word. And I put it this way we are not called to be effective we're called to be faithful. Faithful to what? We're called to be faithful to the ways of Christ as demonstrated in the life of Christ discovered through the written word the Bible which was written to point us to Christ. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus, we would say. So when the Word says, our text from last week, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and He gave us this message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So who are we? Well, the Word says we're ambassadors of Jesus' reconciliation, and I posed last week this idea of two different paths that disciples have to decide about. One path I called exclusion, another path I called embrace. And I made the argument that as ambassadors of reconciliation, that we are to posture ourselves the way Jesus postured Himself to the world on the cross. Our our posture must be what is called a cruciform posture, and our arms are to be open, making space in the way that Jesus made space to embrace even His enemies. Who are we? We are Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation. The disciples of Jesus must open their arms in the manner of the King whom we follow. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. But a posture of embrace is not without complications, right? Knowing that, I asked for your questions last week, and you blessed me with a lot of questions. <laughs> and I, uh, I'm not going to get to all of them, but I am going to hit the biggest one. As they came to me, they were all kind of around a general theme, and that general theme is is this question. Are there times in the community of embrace when embrace is not sustainable? Hmm. Sadly, the answer is yes, and what I want to do is I want to explore that question with a difficult passage, which is from 1 Corinthians 5, so I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible or grab the Bible on your phone, and and let's stand, and I'm going to read it, at least a good portion of it. We stand and we read this out of uh, respect for the Word of God. And um, I, I want to remind you, as, I, as you find it, 1 Corinthians 5, this is going to be right near the end of your Bible there, um, that this wasn't originally called a book of the Bible. This was simply a letter to a bunch of Christians in a local church in a place called Corinth. And Paul, an apostle, apostle means sent by God, Paul is giving counsel to this local community of believers, not unlike ourselves. And so he's dealing with something that, that they're dealing with. Verse 5, uh, chapter 5, he says this. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out, your, put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? "'For my part, even though I am not physically present, "'I am with you in spirit. "'As one who is present with you in this way I "'have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus "'on the one who has been doing this. "'So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit "'and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, "'hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh "'so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. "'Your boasting is not good.' Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new, unleavened batch as you really are, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Skip down to verse 12, if you would. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. You may be seated. Now, that is not an easy text. And if you're visiting with us, you're, you know, sometimes we, we talk about the easier stuff. Um, this, is a, this is a tough one. But I think what, what you're going to find as we move through this, that this is actually going to be very helpful and practical as you think about relationships that you move through in your life. So what's going on here? Well, in this local congregation, a community of embrace, a community of Christ, A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Presumably, this is not his mom, because you would think, thought that Paul would have referred to uh, this woman as his mom, but this is most likely uh, a stepmom. And Paul, in in essence, says right from the get-go, he's like, gang, come on, this is so out of bounds, not even a moral people would call this moral. He says, not even the pagans tolerate such a thing. And then he continues, the the problem is not actually, as Paul writes, it's not just with this man and this woman. He writes, and you, the church, are proud. It's like you're proud of the fact that you've suddenly become so progressive that this is okay with you. Shouldn't you rather go into mourning, he says, and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? And then he gives a prescription. As an apostle, once sent by God, He writes in verse 5, he says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Hand this man over to the enemy of God, to the one who's in opposition to God, so that hopefully, and we'll get to this just a little bit later, hopefully that will have consequences that save him on the day of the Lord. And then verse 13, at the very end of the chapter, he says, expel the wicked person from among you, which is simply, a a, uh, he is referencing a number of different texts. He's quoting texts from the book of Deuteronomy, back um, from um, the early parts of our Bible. Now, there's a lot going on here, and we're not gonna hit all of it, but the reason I chose this text is because this text is actually a snapshot of exclusion in a community of embrace. And there's going to be a a gentle tension as we move through this, so just hang tight. We're going to be okay. Last week, I made the argument, we are to be a community of embrace in the manner of Christ. Are there times in the community of embrace when embrace is not sustainable? Let's answer that question starting with this question. What sustains a loving embrace? And we're going to be thinking literally here, a literal embrace, but we're also thinking uh, metaphorically as well. Fundamentally, the reality of of an embrace, I can have my arms open to you, uh, but if you don't embrace me back, there's really not a lot going on. If you never enter into the embrace, there's no embrace going on. Embrace is like the tango. It takes two to have a fully functioning embrace, right? Right? Now, I can embrace you, and you don't have to hold me back, but, but you lean into the embrace. You understand, I hope. Now, thus a loving embrace requires some things. A loving embrace, following in your notes, it requires the value of the other. Okay? Now, why would disciples of Jesus value the other? Well, we would value the other because the other is always made in the image of God. According to Genesis 1, every person ever born on the face of the planet is made, is created in the image of God. Every person on the face of this planet is, an, is born to be an image bearer of God. We learn something about God and what God has created and His people. We also know, we're disciples of Jesus, we also know that our King, the one to whom we have discipled ourselves to, our King has given His life for all people, not just some people, for all people. And we also know from the Word of God that the living Word of God, Jesus, He has said that we are to love. Not only God, we're to love all people, not just our friends, we're to love our enemies. And so the value of the other is inherent in a community of people who are apprenticing themselves to Jesus. We are always to value The other and the value of the other is necessary to sustain a loving embrace. Secondly, a loving embrace requires the value of the nature of the relationship. Now, there are different types of embraces, aren't there? You know, a football team scores a touchdown, they embrace. We're not really talking about that embrace. (laughs) At the end of Thanksgiving, Um, your cousin whom you haven't seen in 20 20 years, you give him a big hug and you say, hey, great to see you, and they leave. We're not really talking about that embrace. That's a fine embrace, but we're not really talking about that embrace. Um, A man and a woman, in intimacy, they come together and embrace. We're actually coming closer to that type of embrace. What what type of embrace are we talking about? We're talking about a covenant embrace. When God did not embrace us in Christ just to give us a quick, you know, good job, mate, (laughs) Uh, No, it's not that at all. God embraced us in Christ to create a oneness embrace, a covenant relationship, not unlike marriage, the Bible says. The Bible refers to it as a marriage covenant of oneness where what is ours belongs to God and what is God belongs to us. We we enter into the embrace of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in self-giving love. So God's embrace, is, it's, it's, a, it's a holy embrace, it's a special embrace, it's not just a one-off embrace, it's an embrace designed to be eternal and holy and precious, and we embrace God back not simply to get a ticket to heaven, no, 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 the nature of our embracing of God is to live in that abundant life that God has designed for us now and forever, And it's out of the nature of God's self-giving love that we then seek to embrace each other. This is the nature of this relationship. It is heavy, it is weighty, it is beautiful, it's designed to be eternal. Understanding the nature of the relationship is necessary to understanding what sustains the embrace. Thirdly, a loving embrace requires the application of truth necessary in confession. What is confession? Well, confession is simply truth-telling, and truth sets us free. So let's say I hug my, my daughter, all right? I hug my daughter, and I say, I love you so much. What am I doing? I'm confessing. I'm telling the truth. I'm confessing my love for her. Now let's say, sometimes we think confession is only, you know, bad. No, confession is, is a gift. Let's say I said something inadvertently. I didn't mean to do it, but I've discovered what I've said has actually hurt Her feelings. If I say, Oh, honey, I am so sorry. I just, I see that I have hurt your feelings. What I'm doing is I am telling the truth. I value this relationship. I value you. I'm going to tell the truth that I have participated in damaging our relationship. And I want to speak truth. I want to confess, I screwed up. Will you please forgive me? If I don't confess that truth, it's going to be hard over time to sustain a loving embrace. Fourthly, a loving embrace requires the reception of grace. Not wedding reception like this. Is the receiving of grace. Now, what's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. You know, I don't hug my daughter because she's perfect. You know, I hug her because I love her. She hugs me back not because I'm a saint? Shout to me back because she loves me. God has embraced us in Christ not because we're perfect or we merit His favor because we have, you know, perfect Sunday school attendance or something. Not at all. He has embraced us because He is love. He has embraced us in grace. And my receiving that grace allows the embrace to continue. What if I reject the grace? We'll get to that shortly. Then along with the reception of grace comes the application, the doing, (laughs) of repentance. Now, what's repentance? Well, repentance is simply this. If you ever wonder what repentance is, just remember Pastor Brad going this way, and then he changes direction and goes this way. Repentance is a turning, a 180-degree turn. Think of it uh, from the, pro- the, the perspective of the prodigal son story. Um, in that story, this, uh, this young lad has asked for his father's inheritance. He has taken that inheritance, and he's gone off to a far-off country. He has um, spent the inheritance in uh, wild living and debauchery. And what happens? He realizes, you know, this is horrible, I'm like living with pigs here, I'm going to turn, I'm going to change direction from the direction I was going, I'm going to go back home to my father. And what happens is in that turning, he creates the potential for for the reception of grace. In his repentance, he creates the potential for the receiving of grace. And the father sees the son coming toward him in his repentance, the father runs toward him, and he embraces him. What if the son hadn't come home? We'll get to that in a second. Repentance makes embrace sustainable. Now, I'm hoping that was helpful. Uh, we need to know these things. If we're going to sustain loving embraces, we need to value the other. We need to value the nature of the relationship. We need to value truth-telling in these embrace relationships. We need to value grace, and we need to value repentance, for the sustaining of the embrace of grace. But the real question is, what destroys a loving embrace? Well, all we have to do is turn upside down what we just talked about. What destroys a loving embrace? The rejection of the other for another. I started off by saying the value of the other. Now, what destroys it is the rejection of the other for another. In this gentleman's sin in 1 Corinthians 5, he chose to reject a number of things. He chose to reject God, God's ways. He chose to reject his relationship with his father. He chose to reject the values of the community of embrace, uh, the, the church. And he chose to reject those things in favor of another, this relationship with this woman. While he had been embraced by God through Christ and he'd been embraced by the church, his rejection of God and the ways of God in the church destroyed the sustainability of that uh, embrace of grace. Note, the open arms of the body of Christ did not change in this circumstance, I would argue. It was the rejection of the other for another that destroyed this embrace. Secondly, a loving embrace is destroyed by the rejection of the nature of the relationship. In this gentleman's affair, he took this precious, grace-filled, holy embrace God had created in his people, a relationship made and sealed by the very blood of Jesus, an embrace designed for eternity, and he chose to cheapen it for his own selfish purposes, and in so doing, he rejected the holy nature, the grace-filled relationship that God had provided. He essentially said, you know what, Um, I used to value this relationship this way, but now I just, I value it this way. I used to think it was this expensive, now I think it's this expensive. I don't value it as much anymore. And suddenly, the possibility for that embrace is being destroyed. Uh, Thirdly, a loving embrace is destroyed by the rejection of the truth necessary in confession. A loving, get this, a loving embrace cannot be sustained in lies. It won't work. It can't be sustained. It might work for a while, but it will not sustain itself. If one or the other acts in ways that destroy the embrace and does not confess the truth about that, the loving embrace is unsustainable. Think of it this way. I love you. You love me. We live in embrace. Then I punch you in the mouth. (laughs) Uh, this act has hurt the relationship, hasn't it? Uh, suddenly, that relationship, that embrace, it's not very safe anymore. But you love me, and you forgive me. You open your arms again for the embrace of grace. I punch you in the mouth again. While you may still love me and forgive me, if I don't tell the truth I don't know what came over me. I, I, something's wrong with me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm living way out of bounds right now. If I don't tell the truth that I am participating in doing things that destroy the trust in this relationship, if, I don't, if I'm not honest about that, you can't embrace, we can't stay embraced. Because what you will do because you love me is you will say, I love you, I forgive you, but I will not continue to create space for you to act in toxic ways. So, I'm gonna create distance. Fourthly, the loving embrace is destroyed by the rejection of grace. Let's continue with the idea of me punching you in the face. <laughs> you love me, you bestay, bestow grace upon me. Pastor Brad, you hurt me, you punched me in the face. <laughs> you hurt our relationship, but in the name of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, I forgive you. Now, my accepting the grace would be confessing my sin and saying, "Uh, I did things to destroy trust in this relationship, Uh, I need to cop to it, I need to make amends, I need need to to be honest about it, but what if I say, I'm not going to confess, I don't think I did anything wrong actually, Uh, I don't need your grace. I don't even need you, and I walk away. The loving embrace cannot continue if I continue to reject its grace and walk away from the embrace. An embrace of grace cannot continue if the grace is rejected. In the same vein, the loving embrace is destroyed by the rejection of repentance. Think of this in terms of the prodigal son story. What if the prodigal son had never come home? The story says the father embraced the son, but the, the embrace was only made possible because the, res, the son repented and ter, returned home. The father, I know, I, I, our heavenly father, he forgave the son even in the turning away. He, his love never changed for the son, but the embrace could not continue until the son repented and turned, returned home. Put in the context of this man at the church in Corinth, if when confronted by his sin, he said, well, I, I, I don't believe in sin. Um, I see nothing wrong with having an affair with my dad's wife. I'm in love. Uh, she loves me. Uh, you know, I have to be me how could the embrace continue in this context? Now, part of Paul's argument with the Corinthian church is they were proud of the fact they were still accepting this man even in the midst of his sin. But Paul says, no, 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 no. They should be mourning. This person has rejected repentance, and the embrace of grace is unsustainable in this context. So, Paul writes, Hand this man over to Satan, over to the enemy of God for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. What's he saying here? He's saying release this person from the embrace of grace. So he he has to live with the logical consequences of his decisions. You know, when we are um, turning to Jesus and following Jesus, what we are doing is we're living under his rule and reign and, and the umbrella of His grace. Paul essentially is saying, if he has chosen to reject that grace and move out of that and live under the rule and reign of Satan. So let him, let him try that for a bit and see what the consequences are and hopefully that will compel him to return to the arms of God, and I would say the arms of the church, that remain open. Let him go this way so he lives with those consequences. Hope, hopefully those consequences will compel him back because embrace takes two. I can have my arms open. I can be God and say, I, 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 I'm crazy in love with you, but you're like, I don't need you. I don't need your thing. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just going to hang out over here and live in this rule and reign. There are going to be consequences even though you've we, God has chosen to keep the arms open. Now, this seems a little harsh as we think about it, doesn't it? But I think to think so kind of diminishes the gravity of sin. Sin is a destroyer. That's why God hates sin. Let's say my daughter was a heroin addict, okay? I wouldn't hate my daughter. I would certainly hate her addiction. I would certainly hate heroin, I would want her to know, my arms are wide open to you. I love you, but I hate your addiction, and I hate heroin. And that addiction, that heroin, it cannot be given space here. We need to deal with that for embrace to continue. And I would argue it is even an act of love to say, in a context like that, to say, uh, if you continue to use, you cannot live in this house. If you continue to lie, you cannot live in this house. If you continue to destroy yourself and the relationships around you, the embrace can't continue right now. Now, that doesn't mean there's not hope, and we're gonna get there next week. I actually got to this point of my message creating this week and realized. I got to go one more week on this. And so, uh, this story is not done. It's not done biblically, actually, because there's something called 2 Corinthians, and there's something interesting you may not know about, maybe you do, but it's fascinating what happens. Uh, I hope today you've heard this. Um, In exclusion and embrace, there are certain givens necessary to sustain a loving embrace. And the absence of these givens makes a loving embrace unsustainable. This does not change, however, hear me, the posture of embrace in the body of Christ. No. Like I said, the story's not done. The love of God compels us to continue to imagine the work of the Holy Spirit because God's not done with this relationship in First Corinthians. God's not done with any of the relationships that you live in. If you feel like you're alienated from God, like you're far from God, please know God's not done with that relationship he is here, he is present and his arms are wide open to not everyone in this, not only everyone in this room, but to everyone outside of this room. And our arms are to be open to them as well. Closing question. When it comes to fractured relationships, is there anything you can change in your part to cultivate the possibility of a loving embrace? You cannot control the other person, You cannot make them do anything. You have absolutely no control over them. What you do have control over, though, is your own deal and what it looks like for you to let them know, I love you, my arms are open to you, and we can enter into a loving embrace, but it takes two to tango. (laughs) What's your part? Let's pray. What I'd like to do right now is, with your heads bowed, if you have a relationship in your life that is broken, and um, you're just as I've been talking, there is someone on your heart, I'm going to ask you, with everyone's head bowed, my eyes are open, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I just, I'd love to pray for you, and our, your, your church family would love to pray for you. If you have a fractured relationship in your life that needs prayer, would you please stand and let all of us pray for you? There are a number of us. So, holy God, we recognize we are powerless outside of your power, but we have a lot of power because you reside in your people, the church. Lord, what does a... Look like for us to be led by your Spirit in these relationships. We want to know, and so I pray, God, for these people standing and anyone who's who would like to stand right now, who maybe is doesn't want to. But I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill each of these ambassadors of reconciliation. I pray your Holy Spirit would fill this church and your church worldwide. Open our arms widely, but also, God, give us the the truth that only Your Spirit and Your Word can give so that we might be led as ambassadors of reconciliation and let these people know in these fractured relationships that we love them, that You love them, and our arms are open for new possibilities of love and grace. In Your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.